Is the risk of the glitazones worth the benefit? What if you could predict which patients were susceptible? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host. And with me today is Dr. Gualberto Ruano. Dr. Ruano is a pioneer in the field of personalized medicine and the inventor of molecular diagnostic systems used worldwide for the management of viral diseases. He is the president and founder of Genomas, his third genetics-related company and now the biotech anchor of Hartford Hospital's Genetic Research Center. He also serves as director of genetics research at the center. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much for the invitation, Dr. Lin. Dr. Rano, please tell us about your work in developing predictive systems of diabetes susceptibility. We have engaged in areas of metabolic disease where the treatment has unexpected and undesirable consequences. And those two relate to two major classes of drugs, the statins used in, in diabetic patients for reduction of risk factors and the glitazones utilized for the management of insulin sensitivity. In both cases, the medications are for the most part, extremely successful in the therapeutic goals they achieve. But in 10% of people, we have neuromuscular side effects in the case of statins and edema and weight gain in the case of the glitazones. The question is, what 10% gets those kinds of side effects? And can we utilize DNA, which codes for inherited factors of metabolism, to make that prediction accurate and precise? And that, that is really the technology that we're after development here at Genomus. How do we go about doing that? We begin with clinical practice. We have partners at Hartford Hospital and also at the Hospital of Central Connecticut. And we attach our technology, so to speak, to the clinical practice of a diabetic clinic, for example. There, if, if you go to one of our affiliated hospitals, you will be offered the option of participating in this study. And if you allow us that privilege, you will then allow us to get DNA from a blood sample, a regular blood sample that is obtained during the course of your treatment. And part of the consent you you give us in that setting is also to look at your clinical response to these different medications, the statins or the glitazones. And that's it. What we do then is we follow a number of individuals, about 200 to 250, to derive the initial set of rules. We know that most people do fine. They don't develop any of these side effects. But the 10% that do, we can now query their DNA and ask the question, what genetic factors are enriched in those that develop the side effects, and vice versa. What genetic factors are enriched on the people who took the medication and did fine without the side effect. With this kind of clinically-based research, we can derive the rules that in the future can be utilized proactively to prevent the side effect. Will this work for issues other than medications? So, for example, patients that seem to do especially well with exercise or different dietary sort of regimens, can you also look at those patients? Part of our program in, in diabetic management and the control of risk factors for that disease is looking at responses to diet, and we have published that work as well. 
particularly looking at the caloric content of the diet with regards to fat versus carbohydrate. And we have determined that, indeed, there are genetic factors that can predict responses to therapeutic or or therapeutic diets that are based on carbohydrate restriction, uh, so-called low-carb diets, or fat restriction, so-called low-fat diet. When you put the extremes of nutrition, we can now understand genetic factors that predispose your response to either of these two, and in principle, allow selection of the one that gives you the best cardiovascular profile. You know, currently, primary care physicians especially are victims or recipients, I guess, depending on how you look at it, of this huge marketing and propaganda war between Avandia and Actos. Which one's better for which patient? Could one be dangerous? Could the other be safer? Might your technology help the sort of decision that clinicians are currently facing? We believe so. Certainly in the marketplace of pharmaceuticals, competitive pressures are enormous. And physicians often find themselves in a corner with all sorts of information provided to them. Our approach has been to take the role of our honest broker, so to speak, where we actually look at the responses to these different medications and we provide DNA-based factors that could differentiate them. With regards to the statins, we know we can differentiate them with regards to their neuromuscular side effects. We're not there yet with the glitosomes. We're investigating that. But regardless of whether it allows selection of a drug within a class or selection of drugs between different classes, the fundamental point is that in the near term, clinicians will have this DNA-guided support for their decisions that is based on rules determined from individuals. And those rules are capable of being interfaced with their clinical practice in ways that are very evidence-based. In this case, evidence-based, but also personalized. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Gualberto Ruano. We are discussing DNA-guided selection of diabetes treatments. Dr. Arano, we've talked a little bit about kind of short-term or near-term uses for this technology. Let's put on your fortune-telling hat here. And what do you see, say, in the next 20 or 30 years with this kind of work? One of the surprising developments after we have done the analysis of responses to different kinds of medications, psychiatric medications, cardiovascular medications, diabetes medications, is how often we find unexpected mechanisms of how they actually work in people. For example, we just published a report in Muscle and Nerve looking at the statins, which, of course, are utilized for the management of diabetic patients and also for the prevention of cardiovascular disease. It turns out they have neuromuscular side effects, and we have determined that these perceptions of pain are actually mediated by serotonin receptors. Now, serotonin receptors are related to depression, to the perception of pain, and now they are being linked to cardiovascular treatments. In previous work published in molecular psychiatry, we were looking at antipsychotic medications, and they turn out to have metabolic effects mediated by genes that control cholesterol. 
So I think what, what we're landing on is that there is a, a very close interface between mental health and cardiovascular health that should allow us to devise in this vision that you allow me to speculate on a view of holistic treatments of cardiovascular conditions and mental health conditions. And this will lead to a, a different uh, rapprochement of these differing tendencies in medicine to treat mental health and cardiovascular disease as if they were separate items. Uh, we believe our evidence so far indicates they're very much linked, and we should revise our therapeutic strategy for them. That would be welcome news among us psychiatrists. I'm not sure how the cardiologists would feel about that, though. Well, certainly it's part of the nature of the field. Uh, you know, it has been asked of me, what kind of medical specialty will adopt this technology earliest? And your point is well taken. Psychiatrists, based on our experience so far, are very welcoming of these technologies. Uh, cardiovascular physicians, on the other hand, have had many other devices, many other technologies available to them. And so I think their attitude initially is, you know, what is the value of this technology vis-a-vis the other technologies I have? When it comes to unexpected myalgias that you see in people that are getting statins, the response turns out to be more positive because these become problematical cases. Why in the world is this patient resistance to statins when I know these drugs are so effective? And, of course, a lot of the cardiovascular disease that they see is induced by mental health aspects that relate to the diet of the person, their willingness to exercise, for example. So I think if you wear for a second more a preventive hat in the field of cardiology, we already see a lot of interest in that sector of the cardiovascular field. Do you imagine in, say, 20 years from now that the first thing will be to get a test for your genetic profile and then all clinical decisions will flow from that? Well, that is the vision in terms of where we want to be. I think the challenge for all of us in the medical profession is to be very careful about what areas of medical management may be the first ones to benefit from this. It's to the point where some people have said, if I cannot measure the entire genome, then I don't have value for this DNA-guided medicine. Well, I think that's really looking at it from the endpoint as opposed to the realities of practice today. We don't need to measure the entire genome to obtain clinically relevant DNA-based information. 20 years from now, the technology may be so accessible that you could say, let's measure the genome before we do anything else. Right now, the query has to be based on clinical need. I also have to say, over the next 20 years, technologies have to evolve to protect the information that comes from the total genome analysis. That is an area of that will require development because the cost and the responsibility of archiving your genome is quite substantial. That's why our strategy has been let's go at it for medical need, look at specific DNA markers required for the medical management, and that's the end of the interaction. Anything else, Dr. Rano, that you see in the future in this area? The curricula of, of medical schools is evolving And I think, for example, Johns Hopkins has has taken a very active lead in our alma mater in terms of modifying the curriculum to be DNA and genomics-based. So that's also a, a welcome development. I think the key point for the medical profession is to realize that 
the DNA is really a, a new imaging technology that allows us to look at factors that we couldn't predict otherwise. And that it is something that will have clinical utility as we find specific niches for it. It should not be intimidating. It's not going to be used, as you said, everybody gets a genome measured the moment you show up. It will be staggered with actionable events in the course of the development of this field. When you look at it from that very practical, very clinically-based perspective, I think it will make more takers for this technology. Well, I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Gualberto Ruano and fellow Hopkins alum. <laughs> we have to put our plug in for school once in a while, don't we? We've been discussing using pharmacogenetics to improve patients' health. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 